this morning. I'll give you just a moment to find that in your Bible or on your phone. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. This is God's Word for God's people. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you have put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the Father, through Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning, thankful for this time that we have to, by invitation from You, the King, to come into Your presence, to pour out the songs of our hearts, but also to incline our hearts to to sit before You, to learn, to hear from Your Word to be fed and nourished by the Word. As Paul uses the language in Ephesians 5, Lord, to be washed with the water of the Word. Lord, as we prepare ourselves to come before, uh, before You into Your table this morning in the Lord's Supper, I pray that You would take Your Word and that, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that You would write Your Word on our hearts and apply it to our lives this week. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but this is one of of my favorite times of the year. Uh, For me, the highlights are Easter and summer, and then at the end of the year, um, it's it's like a trifecta. You have Thanksgiving, you have Christmas, and then you have New Year's. And like you, I was, like you most likely, I was very busy this Christmas season, but 
it was a good sense of busy uh, as I got to spend time with uh, just about all of my family members uh, having our last uh, extended family party last night. But kind of coming out of the Christmas season, um, I know that Pastor Paul was preaching through uh, part of Philippians chapter 2 with you, highlighting the, the supremacy of Christ in the Incarnation. And the last time that I was here with you, um, before he started that series, at the beginning of December, uh, I talked about the supremacy of Christ over all things as Creator and Redeemer from Hebrews 1. And I thought, well, what can we, what can we do this morning uh, that will be a good segue out of what Pastor Paul's been already working with you through, but as we look forward to a new year, because we have New Year's coming up this week. And if you're like most people out there, New Year's is a time of New Year's resolutions. And when you think about New Year's resolutions, you're always thinking backwards in one sense, and you're thinking forward in another sense. Backward in the sense of, oh Lord, what have I done this year? What bad habits have I acquired? And what are the consequences that I'm dealing with? And you're thinking, okay, but next year, what can I do different? And if you think about the common, standard New Year's resolutions, they usually have something to do with the way you eat and how you want to diet, or maybe you want to work out um, and exercise and get in shape, usually things that are tied to this earth. But New Year's is a time of thinking in terms of before and after, and that's exactly what our passage this morning in Colossians chapter 3 does for us. In fact, the whole book of Colossians is about the supremacy of Christ, which you've already been, been looking at in the Incarnation this Christmas. But I want to take a little bit of a different turn with you. In Colossians 3, Paul talks about all the doctrine, all the, the theological uh, things that undergird what we're talking about this morning in chapters 1 and 2. But in chapter 3, he turns a corner and he gets very practical with us. In fact, the whole point of this passage this morning is that the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ is reflected in our seeking the things that are above, putting off the old man and putting on the new. That's, that's the whole point of this passage. That the supremacy of Jesus Christ is reflected in our seeking the things that are above, not on the earth, and we do that by putting off the old man and putting on the new. And so... Let's begin to unpack that with our first point this morning in verses 1 through 4, looking at the supremacy of Christ in our desires, in our desires. Look at me again at verse 1. We see the call to seek the things above. Paul says in a conditional statement here, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In fact, the type of conditional statement that Paul is using here in the original Greek, it's a condition that assumes as true what he's saying. So when he's saying, if then you've been raised with Christ, Paul is assuming that this is true of the Colossian believers. And we're going to assume for the sake of argument this morning, because that's what Paul's doing in the passage, that that's true of us today here at Missio Day. If this is true, that we have been raised with Christ. That's the first part of the condition. What's the second part? Seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. It's interesting, his linking us being raised with Christ. This is exactly what Paul does in Romans 6, 4. 
kind of giving the other half of it as well. We were buried, therefore, with Christ in baptism into death. Why? For what purpose? In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Or think about Galatians 2.20. If you're one to memorize Scripture, this is one that a lot of people tend to memorize. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who both loved me and gave himself for me. And so what Paul is touching on here in verse 1 of Colossians 3 is that the life that we now live, if we've been raised with Christ, it's not necessarily our own life in a selfish sense. It's not our own life in an individualistic sense. It's a life that is to be lived in conformity with Jesus Christ. And when you look at the command here, when he says, seek the things that are above, you have to ask yourself, what is it that people seek? Well, we tend to seek the things that we desire the most. And if you draw any connection this morning, that's one of the major connections I want you to draw uh, that I think Paul is bringing out here, is we tend to seek the things that we desire the most. And so think about some of the things that you desire. And what Paul is doing is, in verse 1, he's calling us to make Jesus Christ the greatest desire and the central focus of our lives. Because if Christ is the greatest desire of our lives, then he is going to be the highest thing by which we seek in our lives. You can actually reverse the logic of this statement here. How do you know that you have been raised with Christ? Well, one of the ways to know whether or not you've been raised with Christ is to to put your finger on the pulse of your desires. What is it that you desire the most? Think about falling in love for a moment. Many of us in this room have, at one point or another in our lives, felt like we have fallen in love. And, you know, when that person that you've fallen in love with, it becomes the object of your desire. What is it that you want most? When you're in that giddy phase, you want to be where that person is. And that's what Paul is getting at here. If Christ is our chief desire, then we are going to want to be where he is. And if we want to be where he is, we are going to seek him where he's at. And we find here at the end of verse 1, seated at the right hand of God. But it's not just a call to seek the things above. Look at verses 2 through 4. He gives another command here in verse 2, and then the rationale in verses 3 and 4. In verse 2, the second command is, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. That's an interesting command here. He's talking about seeking the things uh, of Christ, making Christ our highest desire. But maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, Wait a minute, if if I'm honest, and I look at my own heart, I think to myself, I don't think that Jesus Christ is my greatest desire. So how am I supposed to actually go about seeking Jesus Christ as my chief desire? Well, he tells us in verse 2, put your minds on the things that are above. Put your minds on the things that are above. 
what he's doing here is he's telling us that our desires are changed by what we give our thoughts to. Isn't that interesting? Paul also addresses this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God. And then verse 2, how do you do that? How do you go about offering your body or your desires as a sacrifice to God? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Some of you know the passage, but what? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, brothers and sisters, in these two commands that Paul is giving the Colossian believers, what he's doing is he's laying out for us how to deal with our own hearts. As you think about, you know, New Year's uh, and looking back at this last year and you think about maybe some of the sins you may have fallen into that maybe you didn't think you ever could. Or maybe you just picked up some bad habits that maybe you're ashamed of and you think to yourself, well, how did that happen? As you deal with your own heart, as you deal with your own desires and your own affections, by these two commands, seek the things that are above and put your minds on the things that are above. Paul is laying out for you the strategy by which we begin to deal with our hearts to see true and lasting change. By putting our minds on the things of Christ. In fact, if you go back and you look at Colossians chapter 2, you look at verses, well, I'll pick up in verse, uh, end of verse 2 and then 3. If you look there, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. What does he say in verse 3 about Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? How do you begin to see this transformation of your heart, your affections, of your desires, so that you begin to seek the right things in this new year? You find it by pursuing Christ. And we see in verses 3 and 4 the rationale here. When you see the word for, at the beginning of verse 3, you have to ask, what is it there for? Well, it's there because of what he just said. So he's explaining, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Notice that kind of contrast there. There's a death that has occurred. You have died to the things of the world. This is why you don't, you don't seek the things of the world. This is why you don't put your mind on the things of the world. You, you seek the things above because you died to the things of the world. Your life is hidden with Christ in heaven. We've been made alive in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he appears in glory, we will appear in glory, as he says in verse 4. Think, think for just a moment. Let's just assume you have a house here in Manhattan or New Lenox. But maybe your job transfers you for maybe seven months to New York City. And you've got a, that your company has an apartment. Everything's taken care of in New York City. All you have to do is show up, but you've got to go to work every day in the Big Apple, and, and, but you have a house here. And let, let's add another layer onto that. Let's say you have a family that's here. 
You've had to temporarily leave your family because whatever project your company has sent you to do in New York City, it is an important project. It cannot wait. And you are the only one in your company who is qualified to see the project through. And so your boss tells you, you've got to go. I need you to be sacrificial here. I need you to go to New York City. You go and do it. Now, when you're in New York and you're going through the daily motions of your job and getting this project done, yeah, you're going to be busy, but is your heart really in New York City? No. The whole time, if you're like me at least, the whole time you'd be in New York City, you would be thinking back to Manhattan or New Lenox, and you'd be thinking, well, I hope everything is going, going okay at home. You know, I hope the sump pump in my basement didn't burst and there's not sewage coming through and ruining my basement. Uh, I hope to God that my kid didn't scribble on the walls and leave that for my wife to have to repaint the walls while she's trying to do everything else. Your heart is at home because that's where your desires and your affections really are. And that's what Paul is saying here. We've died to the world. Yeah, we may be living in the Big Apple, to use that figuratively, but our hearts are really in heaven. Our family is really in heaven. Our affections are really in heaven. The sum of our desires in Christ are really in heaven. And so that's where he's telling us to put our hearts and our minds. And I love how the Apostle Paul roots this in nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that in verse 3? You know, you have died. Where did you die? You died at the cross. And your life is hidden with Christ in his resurrection. It's beautiful to me that the Apostle Paul hinges our entire uh, Christian walk on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because we have to look as we apply this to see that the basis of our sanctification which is the process of being made more and more holy, more and more Christ-like. The basis of our sanctification is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. I've probably said this before to you guys, and I'll say it again because I love this quote from Tim Keller. The gospel is not like, you know, ABC or 123. It's not like you take your first steps and then you're like, oh, then what? What's next? What do you mean, what's next? What's next is physical death. The rest of our lives is putting to death the deeds of the body and living to Christ. <laughs> That's it. And so as we begin to apply this to ourselves, this first point of the supremacy of Christ and our desires, I really want to just take those two commandments of seeking and putting your minds on the things above and let's apply those a little deeper. Because it begs the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning, what are the true desires of your heart this morning? I don't know you. I'm not your pastor. I'm a guest preacher. But the question is still valid. What are the true desires of your heart this morning when you walked into this door to worship the Lord of glory? Some people, think about it, I mean, some people think they seek after knowledge because we've been told, at least I was in the public school system, that knowledge is power. So if I have enough knowledge, I'm setting myself up. But remember, Colossians 2.4 says that in Christ, it's in Christ that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found, not for myself. Other people seek pleasure 
from things like entertainment, sex, or food, or relationships. Which, by the way, is tricky because there's nothing inherently bad or evil or sinful about any of those things. It's what we do with them. But Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And get this, because this is where Christ is at. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All I'm trying to do is to show you that whatever it is that your true desires are, whether it's any of the things I mentioned, knowledge, relationships, food, sex, pleasure, um, entertainment, none of those things are ultimately going to satisfy the heart that God has given you and the heart that God has put within you. Your heart was made to be satisfied by nothing less than Christ, who really is the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate fulfillment. I love, if you ever get a chance and you haven't done so, I love C.S. Lewis's autobiography, Surprised by Joy. Um, take a look at that and read it. One of the things C.S. Lewis uh, wrestled with, um, his mother passed away at a very young age. His father uh, sent him away uh, for schooling, and so he spent a lot of time away from his family. And, and C.S. Lewis was a man who was acquainted with grief, a lot like Christ, but also knew the value of the pursuit of joy. And one of the things he said is, as a young man in his atheism, pursuing different types of pleasures and, and thrills and even going to war and seeing the brokenness of humanity in World War I, uh, one of the things he came to realize was, look, there is nothing in this world that is going to satisfy my heart and give me joy that is worth seeking and pursuing. He said, God is give, he said, we have these, these, these desires in our hearts for true joy. But we also know that nothing in this world is going to ultimately satisfy that. So logically, what does that tell you? That tells you logically that you were made to be given joy by someone supernatural. Someone not of this world, but someone in heaven. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Setting your desires on the things that are above and again, we begin to wonder, how does this transformation happen? Well, we already said it's what we put our minds on. Let me give you just a few examples here of things that people, real people, living around us and maybe in here put our minds to that have detrimental effects. Think of watching pornography. This is a plague, not just in our society, but it's a plague in the church, and it's a plague to many marriages. Think about the detrimental effects this has when it sets up false expectations in the minds of people. That's where it's starting. In the minds of people who look at it. It affects the way they think. And in turn, it affects not only how they think, but what they come to desire. To take a very different analogy, think of food. You know, what kind of food are we putting in our body? Have you ever tried to like have a New Year's resolution where I'm going to work out and, and get really in shape and really buff, but uh, then you don't follow through and actually complement your exercise with proper food? You just keep throwing like junk like Taco Bell <laughs> in your body and, and expect. Uh, to look like one of the Avengers in six months? 
uh, it doesn't work. But the more you feed your body that junk, the more it wears your body down, but you come to still desire that junk all the more. But if you feed your body with healthy food, your body begins to look the way you want it to look a little more, and you actually feel better because you're putting the right things in. Well, that's the way our minds work in connection with our desires. When we put the truth of God's Word in our minds, brothers and sisters, we will see changes and we'll see God work in our hearts in ways that we never thought possible. One of the saddest things is when you read the book of Hosea and you just see um, the, the obstinacy and the hard-heartedness of God's people Israel in the Old Testament period. And uh, God says through the prophet Hosea in chapter 4, verse 6, My people die. In other words, they're going to be judged for a lack of knowledge. In other words, they will not listen to God's word. And they perish because of it. Do you want to seek Christ, the ultimate joy, this new year more closely? Then I commend that you spend time daily in his word. And for you, I, I don't know what that's going to look like. Some of you that may look like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, I'm going to pick a plan and read through the Bible this year because maybe I've never done that before. Maybe you've done that before, but maybe you're not so keen on, on memorizing Scripture and, and hiding it away in your mind so that it can filter down into your heart. Then maybe for you it's memorizing Scripture. Maybe a verse a week or a verse every other week of something that you're reading or something you're dealing with in life. But I, I, I encourage you this year as you deal with your desires and you seek to see the supremacy of Christ in your desires, engage the Word and stick to it. Because that brings us to our second point in verses 5-11. through 11. It's the supremacy of Christ over the old man. Look at me at verse 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You know that phrase, um, put to death what is earthly in you, uh, if you wanted to translate that literally from the Greek, it would be something like, it would be very choppy, but it would be something like, put to death, therefore, the members which are upon the earth. And that word for members in Greek, tamele, usually means like your, your, your bodily members. We see Paul use it that way in Romans chapter 6. Don't let your members be instruments of unrighteousness, but of righteousness. Um, there's a little bit of a different nuance in how he's using that word here. When he talks about putting to death what is earthly in you, the, that phrase members deals with your faculties, your dispositions, your attitudes, the way you see things. And notice how he describes the earthly disposition attitudes. Sexual morality, uncleanness, lustful passion, evil desire, covetousness. And notice what he says here. I think it's tied mostly to covetousness in the context, but it is true of the other four, which is idolatry. Which is idolatry. 
That covetousness could also be translated boastfulness about the material earthly possessions you have. Maybe it's the amount you have in the bank. Maybe it's the size of the house that you have. Whatever it is, covetousness deals with idolatry. And if you think about the way idolatry works, this helps us to drill down further into what we've been talking about already. It drills down further into what we seek, what we think about. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, to use the language of Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 25, then, look, it's not just simply saying, okay, I'm going to kill lust. I'm going to kill greed. I'm going to kill anger and put those things to death. It's more than that. Because underlying each one of these things that Paul is talking about here, whether it's from sexual morality all the way through covetousness, <coughs> every, every single one of these has an idol underneath. And this is what's so difficult about this passage. You better believe that this beat me up this week as I prepared this because, man, it really gets you thinking, okay, well, I, I struggle with some of these things on the surface. Maybe I lose my temper, or maybe there's lust, or maybe there's greed, to use three common examples. But what are the underlying idols under there that Paul seems to be alluding to here in verse 5? You know, if we try to crucify the flesh and we only deal with the surface level symptom, we're going to miss the ultimate cause. It's like going to the doctor and you've been stabbed mortally and fatally. And, and if you don't get this taken care of, like you're going to die. And the doctor just looks at you and says, scratches his head. Oh, just put a Band-Aid on it. He'll, he'll be fine. You know, it's like falling down the stairs and, and breaking your arm or something. And you go to the doctor and they take the bone scan and the x-ray. And they, they see where the crack is at. It's there. And they, they can see that your arm is disfigured and it's not on your, you know, hanging properly. And he just says to you, put a Band-Aid on that. You know, you'll be just fine. Or give him some aspirin. I know he's in pain. We can at least alleviate the pain. We can't help the broken bone. That would be a negligent, incompetent doctor. Because they see a symptom, but they're not willing to dig deeper and see what the real problem and issue is. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to do here. As we think about uh, seeing our affections and our desires transformed from our first point, how do we do that? Well, we have to engage the idol that's actually there under the surface. And that's what he's telling us to do. And he continues on in verses 7 and forward. In these things, all these things he just listed, you too once walked when you were living in them. And notice the contrast now. That was what we have died to. But now in verse 8, you have put them all away. And then he gives another list of things that are apparently symptomatic. What have you put away? You put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You know, it'd be interesting, and we don't have time to do this this morning, so you can do this in your own time, but it's interesting to look at the five things he mentions in verse 5, sexual morality through covetousness, 
And then look at the, the five things he mentions in verse 8, from anger through obscene talk, and to draw connections and pray through, Lord, is there a connection here? What is the connection between sexual morality and anger? What is the, the connection between impurity and, and wrath? What is the connection between covetousness and obscene talk, which comes out of my mouth? The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.17, as we do what he's doing here, because he says, you know, the wrath of God is coming upon these things in verse 6. What is one of the greatest deterrents to not doing something? Well, sometimes it's fear. Sometimes parents, you know this, you tell your child, especially when they're little, don't do this or I'm going to have to discipline you. Well, if your child is compliant, why is he compliant? Well, when they're little, they don't want to get disciplined. They don't want to get a spanking. You know, the Apostle Peter says, you know, if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourself with fear and trembling during the time of your stay on earth. What's one of the motivating factors Paul gives here? That there is a judgment that's coming. Every thought, word, and deed that every single one of us thinks, utters, or does, we're going to give an account. That's kind of a scary thought for me personally because I think to myself, well, I'm sure there's things that I'm going to have to give an account for that I can't remember doing. We're saying, but nevertheless, I did. And so there's a call in verses 9 through 11. What do we do here? We're, we're called to put off the old man. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Verse 10, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And we're kind of back to that knowledge, being renewed in knowledge. But look at what's going on here. There's a complementary um, practice that's going on. You put off the old self and you put on the new self. You know, that word put off and put on, it's like taking off a garment, something that's dirty. You know, when you... You go to work all day, and I don't know what kind of job you have, but let's say it's a tough job, and you, you're outside, and you're doing construction, and not only are you getting filthy, you're also sweating, and you smell. You, when you come home, you don't want to just hang around the house in your smelly clothes. What do you do? You take the clothes off, and you put new clothes on that smell better. This is what's going on. And I love what this new self, how it's described in verse 11. Look there, because this challenges the way we think today. Here, there is not, being here, being this new self, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. And I'm going to summarize all that by saying, look, the two things that people tend to put a lot of stock into their identity into are two things. One, nationality or ethnicity, and two, social status. It was true in the first century in, in the city of Colossae. It is true in the Chicago suburbs in the 21st century. 
The human heart does not change, does it? We tend to stake a lot of our identity on our nationality or our ethnicity or our social status, where we're at economically, what kind of job we have, so on and so forth. And what Paul is saying here is, look, when you take off the old man that is characterized by all these things in verse 5 and verse 8, look, you put something else on. And the new man that you put on, um, these things that the world counts as valuable, they count as really nothing at the end of the day in the new man. Look, all nations are going to either be saved or lost in the same way. People, When people will go to hell someday, at the day of judgment, they're going to go to hell because they're sinners. It doesn't matter what nation they're from. If they get saved and they go to heaven, they're going to all go to heaven because of, by God's grace through faith in what Christ has done. It's all the same. And it doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you have a quote-unquote respectable career like a, some kind of business executive or, or a lowly career. Maybe you're working at McDonald's. Flipping burgers. It doesn't matter. The new man doesn't respect those earthly differences. And so what Paul is getting us to see here as we deal with the supremacy of Christ over the old man is that when we begin to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, we do so by identifying the idols behind those sinful dispositions and we supplant those idols with something new. That's what he's getting at here. And so think about crucifying the idols of your heart here. The 16th century reformer John Calvin says in his Institutes of the Christian Religion that the human heart is like an idol factory. And it doesn't take a genius to, to figure out or reason this through that what does a factory do? A factory produces things. What does the human heart do? It produces idols. How does the human heart go about producing idols? Think this through with me. It's actually simple we we assign our desires and our affections onto some earthly object that we expect to give us something that only christ can really give us and provide and why do we do that why do we put our desires onto objects or even other people we do it to get something out of them we do it to get these idols to somehow serve us in our purposes to fulfill our wishes and dreams. What ends up happening? What ends up happening is we end up serving the idol. The thing that we thought to subjugate to us and we can be the master over it ends up subjugating us and becoming our master almost for its own purpose. And we tend to fall into these cycles over and over and over again. You know, verse 5 mentions five things. Four of them are sexual in nature. The fifth one is materialistic in nature. Isn't that interesting? That the th Paul deals so closely with the things that really are near and dear to our hearts, our sexuality and our livelihood. But because we're called to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, we need to understand that if we're going to deal with these idols, and that's what they are, brothers and sisters, as we crucify that, as we seek to get rid of these idols out of our heart, you need to understand you, there's something that has to go in to the heart. 
in its place. The human heart is not meant to be empty, void, or vacuous. There is something that will always sit on the throne of your heart and my heart. That's how God created us. And so as we think about crucifying the idols of our hearts and and doing away with them, we need to understand that's just one side of what we need to be thinking about. And if you want to begin to unpack what the real idols of your heart really are, look at your sense of identity and dig deep, brothers and sisters. What is it that you stake your identity on? Paul mentioned ethnicity and he mentioned social status. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. Have you ever listened to the way that people talk today? I identify, give you some examples. I identify as fill in the blank. I identify as heterosexual or homosexual. I identify as non-binary or cisgender, right? We're talking about things of sexuality. Um, strangely enough, I saw a news, news thing about a year or so ago. Some um, Caucasian guy in Florida, uh, a white male, was identifying as a uh, middle-aged Filipino woman. That was interesting. thought to myself, okay, well, if you're in his shoes, he's, he's going to say, I identify as this. And it's a different gender and a different race. But do you know what's... The, the way we speak like that, is, that, that, that's in vogue, do you know what's interesting about that? When we say to the world, I identify as, and you fill in the blank, what you are essentially telling the world and those around you is that you are the Lord of your life, and you, by your own authority and the fiat of your own decree, assign yourself an identity, and the thing that you assign as your identity, whatever that may be, is a thing of the earth, and is never going to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. You know, one of the things that grieves me to no end, see, look, it doesn't even have to be sexual in nature. Oftentimes people take their own nationalities or ethnicities that God has given to them as a gift, like he's given sex as a gift, and they make those the centerpiece and the foundation of their identity. And the, the point is, it could be a career. The point is that we identify ourselves based on anything, sexual desires, race, um, career, anything else. What we are doing is we are operating out of the old man. Those are the things that we need to see and put in their proper place as gifts. And say, okay, yes, my heritage may be Dutch or Greek or Hispanic or Irish or whatever, but that's God's gift to me not exactly who I am. I'm something else. I'm in Christ. And so what we need to do is we need to stake our entire identities. And this is what Paul's getting at here in verse 11. Look, none of these categories that the world values are really ultimately going to stand for eternity. <laughs> you know, heaven is going to contain both Jews and Gentiles. And the question is, what is your identity staked on this morning, brothers and sisters, as you think about the supremacy of Christ over the old man in your life?
And that leads us to our third point here in verses 12 through 17, the supremacy of Christ in the new man. Now look at verses 12 through 14. Um, Put on then, because you've put something off, put on then, and then he gives you your true identity as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are you putting on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I love that because that's pretty equivalent to what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, he, he spends yeah, that, the part of Galatians 5 before that talking about the deeds of the flesh are evident, and he goes through all these things that he's talked about here in Colossians 3. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I love what he says at the end. Against these things, there is no law. If you do these things, if these things become part of who you are and how you, you are with other people, then no one can say anything against you. What case could they possibly bring? This idea of being clothed again brings us to Galatians 3.27. For as many as, as have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. I love that picture. I take off my filthy, sinful garment, and the Lord Jesus gives me his garment, his righteousness to put on. So that when God looks at me, because I've been justified by grace through faith, he doesn't see sinful um, Aaron Lyra. He sees his son, Jesus. And that's my new identity. And I have his favor as my father because that's my identity. And because that's my identity, it changes everything. And these things, compassion, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, these relational aspects of these characteristics become the way I am with people around me. And that's what Paul's calling us to. And then... As we kind of end here looking to apply this, Paul ends this glorious passage by giving us a few last exhortations, a few last commandments of what it looks like when we put on the new man. And I'll run through these. There's not, they're pretty self-explanatory, but when you look at beginning at verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That brings us back to how our hearts are transformed, right? teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I love this last one. Whatever you do uh, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him. When you put on the new man, your greatest care becomes the glory of God. Your greatest desire becomes his glory in your life. You see, brothers and sisters, this supremacy of Christ in this new year. I don't know what your dreams are. I don't know what your goals are for this new year. Some of those dreams could be career, financial, relational, um, maybe something family-related, maybe something ministry-related. Whatever your goals are this year, put the supremacy of Christ at the center of 
of your resolutions. And then pursue those resolutions by putting off the old man, putting on the new man in Christ, and doing what Jonathan Edwards said in his resolutions, resolved to live life to the fullest while I have it. Let's pray.